Can't get enough of football? Chance, goal, superhuman, special, special goal. Incredible, just incredible. Now you can get the inside look. Welcome to Football Insiders, your home for informed, insightful and independent opinion, news and talk on football from the team behind Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Oh, what an introduction. Welcome to another edition of Football Insiders. Today we've got another person who's completely different and that's Nick Galatis by day, a lawyer with his own law firm and as always in football with so many volunteers around. He is also the chairman of AAFC, the Association of Australian Football Clubs. AAFC is best known, in, I guess, for having prosecuted the case for a national second division or pushed it along further and further to the point where Earlier this year, they released a paper that basically said this is feasible and it can happen. So we're going to have a chat with Nick about that and some other matters. Let's go straight to Nick now. Welcome, Nick, to Football Insiders. Welcome, Benita. Thank thank you, Benita. And uh, yes, thank you very much. Um, Well, of course, I know you've been talking a lot about the National Second Division and the paper that the AAFC recently distributed, or not so recently, but um, last month distributed. What has been the feedback on it and what's been the reaction generally? So media feedback has been um, very um, intense and widespread, everything from the football media, the widespread, the the, um, the mainstream football media like Sydney Morning Herald, the World Game on the one hand, um, more narrow media, but football-specific media has been in touch across the country. Uh, and, of course, as widely as um, uh, as the grandstand on the ABC. So it's been very wide and very much interest. It's been positive. Uh, most people have been, almost everyone has been most supportive uh, and complimentary about the report and I think appreciative that the work's been done. Um, from a institutional perspective, Football Australia has been in touch. Uh, they've also appreciated uh, the work we've done and told us they're working, um, they're working on our report and hopefully we'll be meeting soon and trying to take the National Second Division forward. Um, yeah, that's interesting in, in terms of, uh, sorry, I still go to call them F, FFA because yes. <laughs> it's, it's, hard really, it's hard to get used to. Um, yeah. They took a while, though, to respond, didn't they? It took them sort of five or six weeks to say something, didn't it? Well, well publicly, yes. Um, they were in touch privately um, earlier than that, but publicly, that's right. They haven't said, and I think uh, publicly now there's been a couple of comments, um, including James on his um, CEO update uh, last week, referred to it, and publicly a couple, a couple of places, yes, but it, it did take a while publicly. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes they're very quick to, you know, for instance, yeah. announce pregnancies nowadays, but they took a yeah. while on the national second division report. Well, I did. About- look, yeah, and, and, and in fairness, we did expect. I mean, we did expect something more uh, sooner. Uh, it's fair to say, but there's been a. Uh, we understand um, that they've now responded, and we're moving from there. Yeah. What, what about the state federations? Uh, None publicly from what I understand. I mean, uh, there's been support from um, some of them uh, in response to direct communications, uh, but I I haven't seen anything public from them about our report. Uh, We've provided it to them uh, and we're waiting to hear now from them and we'll be in touch with them actually rather than waiting to hear about consulting them so we can finish our report in April this year. Yeah, because one of the things that was striking in in the report, and you know, like everyone else has said, it's a very good quality report. And mm. you and Christo Patson 
Uh, and um, the consultants, MI associates, have done a really good job. And I, I think it puts, it makes it very difficult for the naysayers around to use use the usual argument. Oh well, we've seen nothing, and there's no costings because there is something, and there are yes. costings. So from that perspective, it's good. But um, you have set yourself a challenging timeline in terms of having something go to the FFA board and partly that's out of your control because you have to deal with state mm. federations who are by and large fairly slow to respond to anything much um, yep. and, and of course, FFA uh, and, and other members of Congress. So it, you know, we're getting to the point, you know, it's mid, mid -feb, past mid-February now. Um, how confident are you of meeting that timeline? Well, we're, we've got a meeting of clubs this week, um, so to take them out as um, our partner group clubs. Yep, the, the yep. partner group. We've said we've got a meeting uh, this week, um, early this week, Tuesday, to um, where I will take them through what's happened and in the, in the feedback we've had from Football Australia and the steps that we will jointly agree to um, progress the the preparation of the final report. We will we are. Uh, we'll be contacting all other stakeholders to set up um, discussions and fe feedback meetings. But uh, the completion of our report, Bonita, doesn't depend on it so much. Um, we, we would like that feedback. We'll be seeking that feedback. And if there's any sort of small delay because we, some um, federation that wants to provide or stakeholder that wants to provide feedback needs a bit more time, well, that's okay. It's, it's not a race and we're not setting ourselves timelines that can't be met and would uh, if met, um, miss on useful feedback. So um, we are trying to get everyone's involvement, uh, but if someone doesn't want to be involved, well, so be it. Football Australia, we definitely want their, their feedback. Um, and, of course, the more feedback we get and the more input we get, the stronger the report. Um, but we think we can meet that timeline. Much of the work we now need to do is to accommodate things like uh, do a bit more work on the revenue side, but not a lot more. You'll never know. The revenue until you start, but we yep, want to do a bit more work. Yep, yep. But a bit more work on that. A little bit more work on the streaming side, and there's a bit of work to do with the um, the connection with the um, NPLs below that will remain in terms of football uh, promotion, relegation, that sort of thing. So we are hoping to meet with the NPL administrators, the member feds, for that purpose, if nothing else. But that's the main thing. But the clubs um, will be, of course the major participants in this national signal division. They carry the risk, they carry the burden. So they're the main, uh, I think, the, the main players with Football Australia who will be in a, the administrator of the competition. So we hope to have at least that um, contribution in place and the further work done among the clubs in place before the final report is completed. Well, I think that's one of the important points that a few people have missed in the report and that, that is you're not... Um, suggesting or recommending that there be another separate organisation set no. up, but in fact this be something that's administered yep. by AFFA. Yep. Um, what, what's, you know, one of the things that sort of you, you, you notice is that, um, and you touched on the point then and it certainly comes out very strongly in the report, the partner clubs, and I think there was 32 partner 32, clubs. 32, that's right. 32. The yep. partner clubs have all been around for a very long time. I, yes. I think I recall reading in a report there was an average of 58 years longevity. Yep. Um, so you've sort of been there and been doing that for quite some time. That's right. Um, do you think that's a point that's sort of missed by some in the football ecosystem, as it's called? 
I think it is, Benita. I think many people focus a lot on the risk. And look, starting anything that that isn't there, there's a, there's always a risk. I mean, we know there's a risk, but but these clubs have dealt with risk. Risk is in their DNA. That's what they've done. I mean, they've, they've started from nothing. Everyone forget seems to forget that because they're part of the furniture now. But they started from nothing. They started uh, in a way that in often in hostile environments. It must be said, back in the sixties and seventies, they've survived in fairly hostile environments. Um, they, they were built by people who, in many cases, were new to the country and we had other struggles and yet built these, or what I think are, are pillars really of our society, and really we should be celebrating them in every sense and, and helping them uh, not only uh, maintain themselves but thrive. So they've dealt with, they've dealt with risk. Um, they've dealt with um, uh, hostility. They've dealt with difficulty, and here they are. And not only that, uh, the NPL... Um, system that in which they all now participate is restrictive. Um, it does uh, impose limitations on their ability to grow and thrive. So, and yet here they are. So what we think is that allowed to be as strong as they can be, um, there's little to fear and much to gain. So not nothing to fear. We're not saying that, they, you know, this is, let's just go into it blindly, but all these clubs are very well aware of the risks and the opportunities and they're willing to go forward. Yeah, and I think that's one of the fascinating things about the, the whole thing is that these, these you know, you, even the fact that there were 32 clubs who were willing to sign up to be part of right. this whole process, yep. that must have been, even at that point when you went put out the call for that, must have been a yep. really pleasant surprise that 32 signed on. Well, it was, Benita, and that's a point that I just recently made and it recently struck me as well that, for me personally, and, and for Christo, that I'm glad you mentioned Christo, has done a power of work on this on this report, and MI consultants have been very, very good uh, for us on this report, and of course, the, the rest of AAFC's board and, and, and members. What's the most gratifying thing for us out of all of this is the actual support we've had from the clubs, and subsequently to that, the, the goodwill that we've received from the wider um, community of clubs. Uh, and the football community as a whole. So that's been the most gratifying thing. I'm 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 a volunteer here. I'm not I'm not I'm not a lobbyist in the sense of I'm not a paid lobbyist doing this for a job. So that to have to know that you're doing something that is supported by uh, the wider football community and our, a large chunk of our member clubs is what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to pick up again on the issue of the clubs and their longevity. I mean, you mentioned the ones that were formed in the 60s and 70s in, in yep. pretty challenging times. And as you and I both know firsthand, but yep. a lot by migrant communities who are yep. part of their transition to this community. But yep. there are other clubs in your group of 32 as well, such as South Hobart, which has been yep. around since 1910, and yep. Wynnum Wolves, which yep. is celebrating its centenary this year. I, I find right. that remarkable. And, and, that, and just on that, uh, Benita, that's right, exactly right. And also they, of course, were set up by their own, in a way, their own migrant communities that just came earlier. I mean, every, all yes. of us, really, except, except for Indigenous oh. people, are set up by migrant communities and we we ourselves tend to forget that, notwithstanding our own background. So yeah, that, we're that's all happy campers. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry? What's happening? We're all happy campers. We're not first yeah. Australians. <laughs> That's right, we're not. And therefore, all these clubs were set up by, by migrant communities uh, of one background or another. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the state federations, I mean, you mentioned that one of the things that you need to do is connect um, yeah. the, the lower levels of the NPL. Yeah. Yeah. Without state federations at some stage sort of 
buying into this, that's yeah. going to be very challenging, isn't it? Yeah, well, it will be, but this is where I think Football Australia will play a major role as well. So, I mean, there's a couple of things there. One is that um, we'd like everyone to, to ultimately be persuaded um, that our model is the best model to go with. And I think we've said at the outset of our report, Benita, that it's about the best possible. Um, I think uh, Football Australia has put out recently, and James has mentioned recently, a, a potential Champions League style end to the NPL season. And, uh, and while that can be done, uh, we're going to do a lot of work on that in the next few weeks before we meet with a Football Australia. At this stage, we're thinking... That's not necessarily the best way. There's there's other ways. Uh, and when you balance mitigating risk with best possible, we're, we're starting with ours. Now, if we persuade Football Australia of that, which is what we hope to do to start with, um, then working together with the member federations from there, we're saying, well, to make this model work, that, that Football Australia and the clubs at that point hopefully will all agree is the way to go, we then, irrespective of what, the member federations think, and we hope that they agree with this this approach and this model. We hope that they will work together with the clubs and Football Australia to as NPL administrators uh, to make this work. So that, that's that's really the approach. So rather than trying to get every single person to agree an entity, that that it will never start. Um, and I've been saying that repeatedly in the last month or so on on media outlets that it's not about getting everyone to agree. Although that would be fantastic if we could. Because if we get any, everyone to agree on anything, nothing ever gets done. I mean, just look at any parliament. You never get 100% people voting on, on any bit of legislation, but it gets passed. So that's what we're hoping to um, at least achieve, where we get a majority strong key stakeholder agreement, and then we'll work out the rest. And what about the A-League clubs? <laughs> um, I mean, they, as you know, when the report first came out, uh, I, I think I recall Paul Lederer said something yes. which was less than complimentary. Yes. Um, but that, that was sort of retracted a little. Have you yes. had an opportunity to speak with them at all? No, no not formally, uh, Benita. No, I've, I've reached out to them, but we haven't, had, we haven't spoken to the clubs either uh, under their um, um, Premier League's, uh, sorry, Professional League's banner. Um, directly, or with the individual clubs. We've had a couple of discussions with a couple of owners, but not as as clubs. Um, and as far as, yes, Paul Lederer made that comment about, um, I think he was asked when it might come in, and he, he placed it way back down the, um, the food chain. And I mentioned on an outlet, I think it was Box to Box, or uh, I was on and made the point, which I think Football Australia has since agreed with, and that is that it's not for them to say. Um, clearly, uh, it's clearly set out under the unbundling agreement with um, Football Australia that this is a matter that rests with Football Australia. And I think James has made the point repeatedly. He's talked about access and he's talked about that access to the A-League being um, something that Football Australia controls. And certainly they would consult with the um, the, um, the A-League, but it's not up to the A-League. So we're looking to work with Football Australia and, of course, the A-League and everybody else. But because in its initial phase this competition doesn't directly relate to the A-League in that there's no um, mechanism um, contained in the proposed model to link it to the A-League initially. We don't see it as an issue. We don't see it as a problem. In fact, we see it as a benefit. We think that it will really raise the profile of the A-League and that by it will assist the um, unity of the game, the joinder of all fans. But that's, that's, I think, a byproduct. 
that's my view. It's the uh, view of the clubs that what we're proposing will help the A-League. But it's whether it does or it doesn't, in the end, we'll see when we introduce it. But it's not contingent on A-League support and it's not contingent on A-League permission. So it's all about really Football Australia agreeing it's the way to go. They've said it's not a bad if, so we're going to have it. If this is the best model, well, it will happen, irrespective of what the A-League thinks. And that's how we're, we're approaching it. While we're hoping, we're hoping that they can see the benefits and they will support it. Um, what, what if FFA, may, or sorry, Football Australia, make the take the view that um, the model that's put forward by, by AAFC in the report, which, you know, I, I think you dealt with three models and you came up yep. with the preferred one. Yes. Um, what if Football Australia say, no, no, we don't agree with that? I mean, have it, having invested, you know, the money in MI Associates doing yeah. this analysis yeah. and coming up with this model, what if Football Australia just sort of say, you know, they go with one of the options that James Johnson put forward? Well, it, it's a matter for the clubs, um, Benita. It's not a matter for, um, for for me or for the AFC organisation itself. It's a matter for the clubs. Um, before we get to that, I should say that Football Australia has since... I think started to further outline what it sees as the another potential model, uh, although it's looking at other models and it's t- telling us it's doing its own modelling. And I think James said in a recent interview that he's looking at 2021 as a working year. Now that might, excuse me, push us back a little, but um, we, we hope to be working with them during this period to persuade them, as I've said, and they've effectively told us to they need to see a bit more on our model to, to be persuaded. Now, we think we can persuade them. That's the first point. If we can't persuade them and they say that, look, here's another model that we say is more pragmatic, to use James's uh, words the other day. So I think James said, Benita, on your Football Writers Festival, um, when he was a guest and also recently on a podcast with Simon Hill, on both occasions I heard him say that philosophically, he personally um, believes that a model of the type that we've put out, a national type second division, um, is his personal preferred model. He also said, I think on both occasions, that pragmatically um, he sees a different style model, perhaps a more pared down UCL uh, type model as easier to introduce uh, and less risky. So we've said to FA, well, we'll show that this model, ours, is on balance better. It's not as risky as he might initially think, and I understand why he would think that, but not as risky as he would initially think. And any risk is more than balanced out by the benefits that the national model brings, which James, I think, recognises because philosophically he agrees with it. So that's our starting point. If notwithstanding all of that, having gone through that process and therefore the landscape changing a little because the this has been aired in public and we have then had the opportunity to further consider and detail in our final report our response to the UCL type model. So therefore, we've got a bit of a change of, 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 um, of environment and of um, sentiment at that stage because that's been all aired and ventilated. Notwithstanding, you get to what you've said, which is Football Australia nevertheless um, resolves to uh, introduce a different model, then it's a matter for the clubs. If the clubs want to go down that road, they will. If they, yeah, they may not want to. They might see it as too risky for them, that model. Not worth it. They may see it as well. You know, we've got to embark on a on a different uh, and more and more expensive model than the MPL for not much of the benefit. But I, I don't know yet. We'll see. So that's that's the approach. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a couple of things to all of that response in there. One, I think, is that there's a great deal of frustration around, if not from the AAFC who's holding the line corporately, at least from from clubs and others that yes. FFA have been saying much the same thing almost all of the time. Yes. Um, other, other than, you know, when David Gallup first poo-pooed it back in October 2017, but ever since that 180-degree reversal, um, it, they've been working on a model. Yes. And they're still working on a model uh, and mm. it's now getting on for three and a half years. So mm. I pr- just note that. Second, yeah. it's worthwhile, I'd, re- I'd refer you to an article that the uh, official football statistician, Andrew Howe, um, mm. voluntary football statistician, Andrew Howe wrote for um, yeah. Fair Play Publishing's Play On magazine in September last year, I think, about yeah. historically how two different conferences has worked and why why it doesn't work and that's based on data only so that's yes. quite an interesting read but um that's a long way of getting to the issue of risk and because it's interesting yes. because earlier you said that risk is in the dna of your partner clubs and that's right it's sort of a wog thing partly um it's it's partly about people who have to come and sort of forge their way in a new country but there is a lack of there's no appetite for risk within ffa and particularly it's interesting um, with James Johnson, because his whole career has been as a football bureaucrat. Mm. And most bureaucrats, they are, well, lawyer by nature, you'd know that, Nick, and <laughs> and, and a bureaucrat number two, you tend mm. to not have a risk appetite. So how do you get around that? Well, um, Bernadette, there, there, there was a lot in what I said before, there's a lot in what you just said now. Um, so if I can just... I'll, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. I'll, I'll try and cover the points that you, you've made, if I, if I remember them properly. But just to go back a step, I do agree, and I don't resolve from um, Football Australia having really dragged its feet on this over the years. And that's our position. That's the club position they have. It's clear they have. Having said that, though, um, and this is where I suppose we have an FFA and an FA issue, um, I'm, we're prepared and we understand that, um, uh, you know, the new board and James Johnson's come in recently. He's been there for 13 months. So we're prepared to draw a line in the sand there. We can go back and say they were working on it from David Yellop's days and they were and they were and they weren't. But And, and forget all that. We'll, we'll never get to the bottom of it. So our, our approach is we'll start with James Johnson. He's come in and he's had made a clear, um, drawn a clear line in the sand in favour of introducing a national second division. Um, he has had a hard time of it since it's come in. There's no doubt about it. He didn't sign up for COVID like none of us did. Um, many challenges. So that on that basis, um, we don't say that it's, there's been great delay. There's been He's been there for 13 months. He's been developing the 11 principles. It's all there. But the clock is now ticking and now we're working from there. So that's that's the first thing. And also, I think just on the, on the risk that on the one hand, we're, we're a bit perplexed because there has been this... Um, as you've just put it, Bonita, this um, uh, uh, resistance to risk. Yet we think, and I personally think, the A-League was the riskiest thing they ever did. Uh, and that, again, I suppose that predates James, to be fair. But to go out there and set up a new competition that was set up as it was set up uh, with you know seven Australian teams only and really putting the rest of the clubs, um, uh, well, well, excluding them in every single way, not only from the A-League, but really putting them um, somewhere where they weren't able to thrive and grow, that was a massive risk. Maybe it wasn't perceived as a risk, but it was a massive risk. So maybe all of that feeds into where we are at the moment. But what we're um, really trying to now um, 
get across to Football Australia and the other major stakeholders, perhaps burnt a bit by what's happened with the A-League and perhaps burnt a bit with what, you know, with experience with COVID, et cetera, is that this, in fact, isn't risky. This is necessary. And it, the, the risky thing to do is not to do what we say because what we've got is an amazing resource. We've got so many clubs that we're not dragging towards us. They're coming towards us. They formed the AFC of their own volition. You, you remember, Bonita, 80, 80 plus of them flying to Melbourne from all over the country to form this organisation. Um, they have supported us since, which is supporting themselves since. They have put up their time and their money, 32 of them, to create this report. They're continuing to, uh, to stick with it and to complete it. They, are, they have all done their own work and they're all confident in themselves, as well as other clubs out there who aren't part of the group, but we know support it and would apply for a national second division if it were introduced in the manner in which we um, uh, say is best, then um, we think that not only is, is there little risk in it, because we're setting the, um, the bar at a level at which the clubs can demonstrate they are capable of meeting and reaching, uh, but the, the risk in not doing this is, is way too significant. We have massive problems in the game identified by Football Australia, things like performance gap recently and other areas because of the gaps in the game that aren't filled by a national second division of the type we want to introduce. So not doing it, we think, is the, is the risk. Doing it is less risky. Of course, there's always risk in everything, but the less risky thing to do is what we propose. Absolutely agree with you, Nick. But I, I, I'm I'm sure quite a, quite a lot of the A League clubs would agree now. <laughs> in hindsight, yeah. that was yes. also. But um, I, we I want to move on to something beyond the national second division, and, and just you know, just say again, I, I think you and Christo and MI Associates have done yes. a great job pulling that report yes. together, and let's hope it continues to go forward okay. along the timeline that's out out in there, and that's up to FFA not dragging the chain, I guess. Um, but the other thing, and this gets back to the 32 partner clubs as well, obviously not all of those 32 partner clubs will ever be in the first tranche of the national no. second, if indeed they want to be at all. So what else does AAFC, what, what else is AAFC focusing on for its member clubs? Um, okay, so Benita, what we uh, and that's by talking about something always like we are now about the national second division. Naturally, the emphasis is drawn to it, and the focus is drawn to it, and everything is forgotten. And I just want to take this opportunity in a way, just before I even answer directly the question, which I'm going to do in a minute, but just to make a point which links the two. What we've been talking about, national second division, and what you're now asking me about, and that is clubs. And you keep you mentioned the word. I've mentioned the word. And what I think underpins the game anywhere is strong clubs. Now, whether you're, uh, you know, a football imbued country like, you know, England uh, or Italy or, or, or Croatia or Brazil or, or anywhere else, of, of, you know, where football's number one sport or smaller countries, you know, you can go European like, you know, Denmark or somewhere. I'm a Croatia small too, but, but you, you get my drift out or Belgium or you go to other, other parts of the world. It's about having strong clubs everywhere. And, you know, we've always, you know, we're talking about this all the time and people fear promotion and relegation, for example, with the A-League because they, um, they, for various reasons, that's the A-League teams. But none of that, none of that's a conversation. None of that can be discussed unless you've got enough clubs. So, and I say this all the time and I want to make this point and, and have the opportunity of making it, and that is that um, you don't discuss promotion and relegation if you've got eight teams. 
Because how can you, where would it come from? Or, or seven teams? And you only discuss it when you've got lots of teams, lots of clubs. Because oh. then it's a solution to a problem. Then it's a solution to we've got 40 strong teams who all want to be the best, who all want to win the championship, who all want to go to Asia and win the Asian um, Champions League. But um, we can't fit them in a competition. So that's when the conversation starts. So what we want to do and what we're about is enabling our clubs, and that's therefore comes back to our member clubs, to be the best they can be. Some of them will be, could become really, really strong. Others, and that is strong in the sense of being able to participate in the first tier of this country's um, competition and go on. We, we don't even know and we can't even predict now who they might be. It might be a smaller club, a small NPL club that's growing in the outer suburbs of Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane. That, that becomes in 10 years, 15 years, a very strong club. We're not here to predict it. We're not here to direct it. Um, and, and, uh, and on the other side of the equation, back to specifically your question, many of our members are, are smaller NPL teams who happen to be um, NPL branded and therefore they are notionally and actually right now part of the second tier of the Australian game. And that brings with it all these obligations and, um, and, and licensing requirements and the like. And they are run by volunteers and have to meet all manner of difficult, really, um, um, ob, ob, as I say, obligations and, and requirements so that it's almost too hard for them. So we're, we're putting so many clubs around the country in the one basket. So what we're about really is looking at all of their needs and trying to create a structure in which every club can find a level in which they're comfortable and compete from there and grow from there rather than all of them being put in a particular category. And that's what's, what's happening in this game. And we, we seem to be compartmentalising the game. And, and while you had on stage, stage on last week and talking about Central Coast and how well they're going, which is fantastic now to see in the A-League, equally with them, you know, they, they were in the A-League and they're in, the, in, in a group and they were last for so many years and, and didn't have an opportunity really to go back and reboot. So it, it's across the country. It's almost like allowing some fluidity so that we don't say you, Club X, are an A-League team forever and a day irrespective of your struggles. Um, you, Club Y, are an NPL team, no matter where you might be in Australia, um, and you will be this entity and no more and no less, and or you will be community, etc. So I think that's one of the problems that we've created. We've, we've been so keen to, to do the opposite of what this country was built on, and that is to tell people what they can and can't do and what they must do. So we're really about doing releasing clubs from those obligations and creating the structures that enable them to to do that. That's our overarching aim. And specifically this year, dealing with their challenges coming out of COVID and NPL competitions and ensuring they thrive and survive and they have a voice within their um, member federations and Football Australia. That's our specific aim this year. Yes, I mean, to use an analogy, I guess it would have been like someone saying to Frank Lowy back in 1951 that, he has to be a salami seller yeah. driving around the Western Sydney. He couldn't possibly buy some land and build a shopping centre on it. No, I mean, no, so, he, he, no, well, yeah. that's right. He, he was supposed to know his place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just, just, on, just going off AAFC stuff now, yeah. specifically, but more broadly onto football, um, there's a lot of talk at the moment of private equity coming into the A-League. Yeah. Yes. Um, as a as a lawyer and as a, yeah. a long term yeah. football person, yeah. what do you yeah. think about that? Well, it depends what that private equity wants. 
um, to come in. Private equity is not coming in as private equity without um, wanting something. So it depends what it wants. And my my concern, and I haven't um, been able to personally spent that much time on it, obviously. But my concern is that again, by um, it's it's what what is the game? You, know, you become, get a bit philosophical about it, and that is that you know you've got a game that is played by people, and they form clubs, and, and away we go. And then you've got organisations like Football Australia and member federations. But I'm concerned that how the game then suddenly can get become a commodity to be sold. So that what then happens is, you know, we create a first tier as we did, the A-League, and we privatise that and close it at the same time. And I, I never tire of making the point that it's not one or the other, it's both together, in my view, that's created a problem. So that, uh, and, and of course, the money that came into it initially was, in, it was envisaged that it would future-proof those clubs because you'd have, you know, wealthy individuals behind them so that, you know, if funds were needed, they could come in. But of course, the problem is that with, with wealthy individuals is, they don't care much about losing a little bit of their a little bit of their money if they've got lots. So if you're a billionaire and you lose a tiny amount, doesn't matter. If you're a football club, it's what you do. You don't want to lose your one asset, which is what you do. You play, you do football. So our concern is that if you take the game away, you commodify it, you create an A league with a as a brand as an entity. Um, you you've unbundled it. You've you've made it into an asset, which is capable of being bought and sold. Then. Um, what are you buying and selling? Is it just your first tier? And firstly, are you prepared to sell that, um, and or, or part of it, or um, you know, give away some of its control and rights to? Um, at this stage, I don't want, don't know who, so I don't want to go beyond that. Um, and secondly, beyond that, um, what rights to the rest of the game? How do they influence the rest of the game? Which which does touch on Bonita your earlier question, and that is, what does the A League think of our national second division? Well, while we're not connected, why does it matter? If you want to put it that, if we want to really get down to it, if we were to be connected, then it matters enormously. Then we're all together. But if we're not, well, then does it matter? And that's a question really that I think people aren't answering. And and when football people speak, they they speak with the they they ascribe meanings to terms based on their tradition of the game. And all of us really come from the European tradition in terms of football in this country, or, or most of us, not all of us. But I know we have South Americans and, and African people and the like, of, you know, among us too. But the vast majority have come from the European tradition and we understand football in certain ways so that um, we sometimes forget that um, while we use the same terms, they might not apply in the same way in, in Australia. So we've got to be careful, I think, that um, we understand what we mean by terms when we use them and what, what we mean by you know our first division and being the A-League and how, uh, and how it relates to the rest of the game and not automatically assume certain things. So they're my concerns that people understand uh, what it would mean if private equity came in. And, and that would have to be discussed at the time, of course, and we'd have to look at specifically what's proposed. But I would be very careful to ensure that it does, it does not in any way affect the rest of the game negatively by controlling what it can and can't be. And particularly the national teams, for example. Yes, that's right. Absolutely, the national teams. Yes, yeah, they can't be sold off as yeah. part of a deal with private equity. Oh, that would no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, Nick, it's been a, a fascinating talk, and I, I want to thank you very much for your time because I know you're really busy both in your day job and and in your volunteer job, like all of us. So, thank you so much for for your time, and um, I'm sure that we'll talk to you sometime down the track to gauge how progress is going. <laughs> and and thank you, thank you for the opportunity and for your continued and for your continued uh, involvement in the game and interest. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Nick.
And that's it for another edition of Football Insiders, the podcast home of Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Thanks again to Nick Galatis for his time. Always fascinating to hear from someone who has such a depth of football knowledge in this country. We'll be back in another week or two with our next podcast. And until then, if you're looking for a really good football book, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au. See ya. Thanks for listening to Football Insiders from the team behind Fair Play Publishing, home of the Football Writers Festival. Be the first to get inside access by subscribing. And to get more, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au.